About two months ago, someone came into my life that changed absolutely everything for me. Some of you in the congregation warned me that this change was coming, but I did not listen because I had no idea what you were talking about. Others of you might be here this morning wondering who could make that big of a difference to change everything. Well, I'll give you a hint. That person is currently about 12 pounds, four ounces, and they sleep on average about four hours at a time. Yeah, that person I'm talking about is our first child, Samuel. Let me tell you the story about the day we met. It was a Tuesday like any regular Tuesday, and I came home from work to find my wife, Rachel, at the living room table. She was finishing up her day working from home. And we had our normal check-in conversation. I asked her how her day was going. She said it was great. And we're talking for about five minutes. And then she says, oh yeah, and by the way, I think my water may have broken, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. Obviously, my response, being such a reasonable person, I said, what do you mean you think? Isn't this something that women just intuitively know? And I remember being so confused and uh, being so calm. Just kidding. I remember packing the car immediately and saying, we have to get to the hospital to get you checked out. I remember we rushed to Greenwich Hospital as quickly as possible. And I let Rachel go inside. I had to wait outside because of COVID protocols at the time until she was deemed officially in labor. And so I waited outside after I dropped her off. And I waited. And I waited for what felt like two lifetimes. It was about an hour, really. And finally, I got the call. David, I'm in labor. Get up here immediately. And I remember I ran out to the car. I sprinted to the car. I'm grabbing all the bags out of the car as quickly as possible because in my mind, this baby's going to be here in 10 minutes. Remember, I had no idea. <laughs> I sprinted through the hospital. Nurses were yelling at me. Doctors were telling me to slow down. I got to the room. I was panting. I was sweating. And then I sat down and we waited. And we waited and we waited for about 12 hours. Now, this waiting was much more miserable for Rachel because the pain was growing immensely throughout the waiting. But then, at around 11 a.m. on June 2nd, Wednesday morning, Samuel was born. And I remember after all that waiting, I remember the cries. And I remember two specific things that stand out so much. I remember Rachel holding our boy for the first time. I've never seen someone go so clearly from such pain to such deep joy. She was filled with joy. And I remember when it took, came time for me to hold Samuel, I was just washed over by the goodness of God. In that moment when I held my boy for the first time, I realized something that I was holding a gift. You see, a gift that I didn't earn, but that God in his graciousness had bestowed upon me. And I love Samuel. And I can't wait for you all to meet him. He's getting some vaccines. Don't worry, he'll be here soon. <laughs> but I love Samuel and I love talking about him because it brings me great joy. And I'm telling you about Samuel and how he's changed my life and brought me joy because that's exactly where this passage begins this morning. It begins with John, an old man now, recounting the story of this man, Jesus. This man that changed 
everything for him. And I love this. John, he's talking about the story of Jesus. And at the end of what he says, he says, and I tell you all of this, and as I do so, it makes our joy complete. You see, for John, there was nothing more joyful or exciting than sharing the story of Jesus because Jesus had changed everything for him. And Jesus is the reason we're here this morning because John shared this joyful story. That's why we are here, because of that testimony. And what we're going to see this morning in this passage is that actually the story of Jesus, believe it or not, it's more joyful than even the story of the birth of a firstborn son. Because the story of Jesus, it's rooted in the faithfulness and justice of God. And he is faithful and just, friends, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let's take a look at this story of Jesus uh, beginning in verse 1. Let's see what John has to say. He says this, that which was from the beginning. John is talking about Jesus here. And John says this story about Jesus, it began at the beginning of time. He's referring to Jesus or the pre-existence of Jesus. In other words, there never was a time when Jesus wasn't. He always was. He was there at the foundations of the universe. So John says, this individual Jesus, he was there at the beginning of time. And he continues in verse 1, he says, he says, this individual, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I love this phrase here that John uses, word of life. He's playing off some nuances in Greek thought. These two Greek words, uh, the word for word here is lagos, and the word for life is zoe. So the lagos ha zoe. This phrase is a phrase that Greek philosophers had been talking about for centuries. And the word of life was this ultimate reason that controlled everything. It was seen as uh, the thing that started everything, this unmoved mover. And I love what John does here because he says, oh yeah, that word of life, we met him. We walked with him. We heard him. We touched him. You see that pre-existing word that caused everything? That word is Jesus. It is Jesus. And he goes on in verse 2, he says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. He says that word of life that we're testifying to you about, he says, by the way, he's also eternal life. This is a reminder for us this morning. Eternal life, friends, is not found in following a certain set of rules. Eternal life is not even found in reading a specific book. Eternal life is found in a person, and that person's name is Jesus. John says we found eternal life in Jesus. He goes on in uh, verse 2. This life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. He says, this life, this pre-existing life of Jesus, he was with the Father before the beginning of time, before the foundations of the universe. And he says, by the way, we're telling you all of this so that you can have fellowship or right relationship with us and with God. He's, well, that's why we're telling you this. And then I love what he goes on to say, and by the way, by telling you this, it makes our joy complete. You see, there was nothing more exciting for John than to share the story of Jesus. There was nothing more joyful for John than to share the story of Jesus. And John, now an old man, he's still sharing the same story. He's sharing the same thing. And what I find interesting here is is the context, is that John, he's writing to church people. He's writing to people that know about the story of Jesus, right? So why would someone be writing about the story of Jesus uh, to people that know about the story of Jesus? Why would someone be writing about how eternal life is only found in Jesus to people who know that eternal life is only found in Jesus? Why would someone be writing to people who know that fellowship with God the Father is only found in Jesus? Why would he be writing that to people who know that fellowship with the Father is only found in Jesus? And I think the reason here is simple. It's because this story, friends, it's worth retelling over and over again. This is all John did his entire life. He shared the same story. There wasn't a new story to share. It was the same story of Jesus. And by the way, this is what all the other disciples did as well. They shared this same story. And the reason we are here this morning is because they were faithful to share that same story. And I love for John how not only did he love to share this story, but he realized something, that there is nothing more joyful than sharing it. You see, just like me sharing the story of Samuel, I was able to share some of my joy with you. I was able to bring you into that joy. And John knew whenever he shared the story of Jesus, he was able to share that joy and to bring others into that same joy. And ultimately, what we see in this passage is that he knew that this was a joyful story because this story was rooted is rooted in the faithfulness and justice of God. So let's take a look at that in verse 5. John continues in verse 5. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So what's John saying here? He's saying, I'm not making this message up. These are not my own opinions about Jesus. No, this is Jesus' message about himself. This is his own message about himself. So what is his message about himself? Well, he goes on in verse 5. He says, That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what is God's message about himself? Well, the message that God has to share about himself is that he is light. John's using a simple metaphor here, a metaphor that we can all understand, a metaphor of light and darkness. So I just want you to imagine with me for a moment, we're in this beautiful, well-lit sanctuary. I want you to imagine uh, this sanctuary being pitch black. 
just for a moment. Shut your eyes if you need to. Just imagine you're in pitch blackness. Uh, There's a lunar eclipse, whatever. The lights go out, the power goes out. So we're in the pitch dark. How do you think you would feel in a room full of people in the pitch dark? Well, I can tell you, some of you uh, would probably feel some panic. You would feel some anxiety. Others of you might try to get out of the room as quickly as possible. Maybe some of us might try to get away with something that we couldn't get away with in the light. Okay, now the light's back on. So what does John say? He says, okay, you want to know the opposite of that dark room? Well, the opposite of that dark room is God. He's the opposite of that. He's light. And by the way, he's revealed himself. So what does this mean practically? If God is light and he's revealed himself, this means that there is no secret knowledge. There's no special handshake necessary. This is good news, friends. God has revealed himself plainly and clearly. And now, John, he's going to talk about some of the practical implications of God's revelation. He goes on in verse 6. He says, so if we say we have fellowship, right relationship, with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship, right relationship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Now, I want you to notice what these verses say about God. I think we tend to look at the Bible and we read verses and we think they're all about us. But remember, the central character of the Scriptures is not us. The central character of the Scriptures is God. So what does this say about God? Uh, It says, He is faithful and He is just. Friends, God is faithful and just. And what, how does he display his faithfulness and his justice? Well, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Church, this is good news. This is news worth sharing, that if we confess our sins, God, he washes them away. He takes them all away. And he does so not because of our faithfulness, No, he does so because of his own faithfulness. Now, what is he cleansing us from? Well, he's cleansing us from sin and unrighteousness. So uh, this takes some explanation here, I think. So sin, sin is an internal condition. It's a condition of the heart. Think about it being like a sickness or a virus. This is a condition of the human heart. In Psalm 51.5, David says, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So this is a condition. And what is unrighteousness? Unrighteousness is the outward expression of that inward condition. Right? Sin, this bent of the heart, leads to unrighteousness, unright standing, broken relationship with one another and with God. And so what does God do? He forgives our sin and he cleanses us of unrighteousness. This means he not only washes us outwardly, but he also washes us inwardly as well. Friends, this is good news. 
I think sometimes we act like the Bible says, if we confess our sins, God is wrathful and angry and makes us pay for them. That's not what the Bible says. No, it says quite the opposite, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So what's our role in this cleansing process? Well, John names it. It's confession. It's bringing these things into the light, right? Because God is light. He can't have fellowship with darkness. And in confession, we bring our sins into the light so that God can then deal with them. So I just want to say something to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you feel like you've been trying to hide anything from God or from everyone else in life, please hear me. You need to confess. You need to bring those things into the light. Because when you do so, those things, they lose their grip on you because God is able to deal with them. And there's power in confession directly to God, but there's also power in confession to one another. So if you don't have one to two people in your life that you can be fully honest with, I encourage you, find those people. Come, confess your sins to us pastors. We're ready. We're here. Because this is what God desires for us. And he desires for us to confess our sins so that he can deal with them. And John tells us exactly right here in verse 7 how God deals with our sin. He says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. So John says, when we confess those things, when we bring those things into the light, that's when we allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse us not only outwardly, but also inwardly. Our cleansing is found in the blood. Our cleansing is not found in our own goodness. It's not found in the sweat of your brow. It's not found in looking put together. No, our cleansing is found through the blood of Jesus. You see, at the cross, what happened is God's perfect justice and God's perfect faithfulness, they met. And neither of them were diminished. They were brought to full fruition through the person of Christ. And John writes about this when he says, our cleansing is found in the blood. And what I find interesting about who's writing these words, what I find particularly weighty about writing on the blood of Jesus is that John, he was there. He was there. He saw the blood. If you remember the story of the crucifixion, the night before Jesus is betrayed and he is taken by the high priests and he's beaten and he's spit on and he's mocked. His disciples, they all abandon him. The following morning, he's put on trial before Pontius Pilate. He's deemed one of the enemies of Rome, and he is then executed. And none of Jesus' friends show up for his execution, except for John. 
John shows up to watch his friend die. John watched the blood pour out of Jesus' hands. He watched the blood pour out of his side. Can you imagine with me for a moment the man upon the cross? Can you see the sweat on his face? Can you see the blood on his hands, on his feet? It reminds me of that hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's in the blood, friends. And as John showed up to watch his friend crucified, he writes a little later about that in this letter. And he looks up at his friend upon the cross, bleeding out, and he uses one word to define the entire scene. Love. He says, this is how we know what love is that Christ laid his life down for us. Friends, this is the good news, that Jesus laid his life down for me and for you. But some of you here this morning, you've been running. You've been running for a while. And God has been pursuing you. And friends, he's been pursuing you, not to pour out his wrath or his anger, but he's been pursuing you in his justice and his faithfulness, to pour out his love and his mercy, to forgive you of all your sin, and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. This is a joyful story. This is a joyful story that we are a part of. So let's live into it today. Thanks be to God.